You're listening to the Rachel Hudson podcast. In today's episode, I am talking with my friend Celeste Smith. And Celeste is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also a certified eating disorder specialist. And she is a former client of mine in Reiki and in yoga. We y'all we talk about all the things. So I was thinking about this episode and I like to just call it the we went there episode. We're talking about boundaries. We're talking about some mama drama issues, body image issues. We're talking about um, Reiki and meditation and yoga. I think we're just covering everything in this these two episodes. We talked about so many things that I decided this was going to be a two-part episode, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Celeste Smith. Stay tuned. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in Tyler, Texas. I also am a certified eating disorder specialist. Um, I would say probably about 85% of my therapeutic work is eating disorder based and the other probably 15% is general life stuff and sex therapy. Um, I am not a native East Texan, um, not even a native Texan. I moved here from Tennessee when I was 12 and moved to Texas. And then we moved to Tyler in 2014. And so I am, I guess I'm almost 10 years into my East Texan life. <laughs> so yeah. far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can add as little or as much as you like, but what was it like growing up? Or like, did this, did growing up have an impact on what you do now at all? Um, at- Absolutely. Um, I actually made the decision to become a therapist when I was in uh, residential treatment for an eating disorder. Um, And like, I think this was my third residential treatment stay. And I remember being in a therapy room, I had a very, very, I, I joked when I saw your mama drama, um, uh, email, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to talk about some mama trauma, which, mama trauma. Okay. <laughs> I hope, hope everybody's ready for that. We're all ready. Um, <laughs> yes. So I had quite a bit of extensive trauma in my childhood and, um, and just kind of some toxicity. And in, in my treatment stays, it was kind of this, like, we're going to pretend that everything's okay, just so you can get out and move along. And one day I had a family therapist who there, it had, it was not good. The session was not good. And my parents, my mom and my stepfather both left and the therapist said, I don't. I think we're just going to have to work on getting you out. And I was stunned. I mean, I was 16. Um, Nobody had ever said that to me. And as a family therapist, I'm so pro-family. But this was really just like beyond that. Um, And I just remember that being such a lifeline because someone had seen like what I was experiencing. Um, And so that was just such a a life-changing moment to be seen in that way by another person. Um, and I just thought, that's what I want to do. I want to see people. Um, and so, and here I am. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. It, I joke all the time. Like people always ask me, like, did you know that this is what you're going to do? And I said, I wanted to be a veterinarian. 
And then on that day, I was like, now I want to be a therapist. (laughs) And and that is what I did. So So um, in that session, had you been aware and were looking for someone to validate? Or was it just so like you were just kind of in survival mode that once this therapist picked up on it, you're like, oh, wow, that's it. So what was that? Can you give us a little bit of a snapshot? Yeah, I think it. it, looking back, I think it was the second. Um, It was just so my norm that until somebody pointed it out and saw it and said, yeah, like, that's not okay. I was like, that's just, that's just normal. And of course I knew, I, I, I tell people that I had like an addiction to healthy families and like good guys. <laughs> and so all of my boyfriends in high school were great and amazing, just good guys. Um, and all of my closest friends had wonderful families. And so I obviously knew like what's happening at their house isn't what's happening at my house. Oh, okay. um, but I just don't even think, I think you're in survival mode and you just don't even think like anything can change or that there's really anything like wrong with what's going on. Yeah. So do you have any like connection on what led to the eating disorder part or? Oh yeah. I, I actually wanted to do sex therapy um, and work with like a fair recovery and couples. Um, and my friend, good, good friend was going out on maternity leave and shout out to Melody Phillips. Every time I do a podcast mm-hmm. interview or anything, I shout out to her. Um, and since I'd had a history of eating disorders, I really just felt like maybe that wouldn't be the best place for me. Um, okay. and she approached me and said, Hey, would you just fill in my maternity leave? Like, um, and I said, well, um, let me think about that. <laughs> and so I said, give me six months, tell me everything you want me to read, study, I'll do that. And then I'll get back with you in six months. And six months later, I think she had actually gone on like a period of bed rest. Um, and she was like, oh. ah, really need a decision. Um, <laughs> and so I said, okay, reluctantly, I'll do it. And my husband will tell everybody, like, this is what I was meant to do because she didn't come back from maternity leave for like, I think it was like 15 months. Um, And I just, right. Yeah. Yeah. I just fell in love with it. Like, I am so passionate about it. Um, It has not been like concerning or triggering. I think I I definitely am somebody who, who would suggest doing your own work if you're going to work in an area that is so close to your own struggles like that. Um, and it has just been like what wakes me up in the morning and puts my feet on the ground is this issue and helping people find freedom from struggling with eating disorders. Yeah. It's, it's the best thing in the world is to just help people. Right. Mm -hmm. feels Mm -hmm. amazing. So we're going to go a little bit deeper. Mm. <laughs> so um, what, was your re- what was your relationship <laughs> since this is the, the mo- ditch the drama with your mama? Um, what was your relationship like with your mom? Uh, and would you consider it mama drama? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, would, that's a technical term, it. you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a clinical definition. Um, yes. Yeah. And like I said, mama trauma to some, yeah. some degree. Um, so full disclosure, I actually do not have a um, contact or relationship with my mom right now. Okay. Um, that decision was made about three or four years ago. Um, and a very tough decision. This is, you know, I was in my late thirties at that time and you just never think you're going to get to that place with your own mother. Um, but it became very clear as I started to do some like boundary work that like, 
she's just a little not not cool with boundaries. Um, And I think I had to do I had to do that from a place of honestly compassion and forgiveness, which sounds really strange when I tell people that like, I there were many times where I thought of, of walking away from a relationship with her. And that would have been out of anger and hurt and pain. But really the decision I made three or four years ago was um, I'm fuzzy on the time because I feel like, like the pandemic made time just, yeah, I don't know, it know what stopped happened. and like, then what, it felt like it was a hundred years ago too. Forever right? ago, but also just yesterday. I don't know. Um, yeah. And so it was a little before that. Um, and so um, anyway, it, it, it had to be done out of a place of like compassion for who she is and what she's capable of. Um, and so I, I really say with like, full truth and honesty. Like I don't feel anger towards her. I just know that it's in my best interest and the best interest of the people I'm closest to that we have a very firm boundary to just not be in contact. Um, I always think of boundary work. Like, do you ever see that, um, like Sharpie display when, when you're, um, school back to school shopping and it's like all the different sharpies i promise i'm going somewhere with this <laughs> i believe you yeah. i'm following very closely <laughs> and it's like the fine line sharpie and then like the like a little thicker one and you yeah. got like the the mega the fat one you, yeah the one you would like pass out if you used <laughs> i always think like that's how boundaries were with my mom like i started with the fine line sharpie like okay mom like mm, you know, I, I really don't love this, you know, and I'd really, I feel this way when you do this, could you please not, you know, and then it would move to like, okay, that didn't work. So let's do the bigger. And then now we're like at the like mega, mega, mega Sharpie. Um, and yeah. yeah, and of course there's some grief in that, you know? And so, um, so but to back up, um, my mom has a substance use issue. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom also has her own food and body image issues. I think that those things often coincide. She has her own trauma history um, that is not healed. And I think <laughs> she might have a little bit of like love addiction or romance addiction mm-hmm. in that she'll bring people in and out of our lives that are not always like the best intentioned. And so growing up, it was just one relationship after another, after another with very, very toxic people and men. And that's sort of kind of still her, her, her jam, so to speak. And, and so that just kind of got to a place of like, yeah, I just, I'm not, I'm not here to be on board this roller coaster anymore. So yeah. yeah. When I, t- when I tell people what made the final decision to stop talking and having communication with her, it sounds so odd um, because people are like, they, a lot of my, like my husband and people, my best friends that are closest to me, they know the full detail of our history. And they're like, wow, that, that was it. Like, <laughs> Cause it just seems like such a small thing, but it, it just got to a place where it was like, yeah, I just can't do this anymore. You know? And so, yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting because it's sometimes what I've seen and what I've experienced is sometimes it, or many times that I've seen, it's not the big thing. 
because mm-hmm. that's almost too much to deal with. And it's almost like easier to draw the boundary on something small. Yeah, it's really was a hard decision. And the sad piece of that is that my mom has a grandchild she's never met because we have a three-year-old. Oh. Um, yeah. And it's also created some <laughs> grandmama drama. Um, because <laughs> that's a new one. Mom, I'm going to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> it sometimes works that way, you know, Rachel, like it passes down. Um, and uh, my, my grandmother, uh, for a large part raised me and my sister in particular and was very involved in our life and I'm I'm fairly close with her and she although she understands it has some drama with my mama as well um, she's very much like a you just let anybody do whatever because that's family you know um, and so that's created some like hurt and tension there because I think in her mind like that I should just have my mom have a free open door to because she's you know, your mom. My life. That's that's the, that's a lot of um, people I talk to are like, but it's your mom. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. not okay. At the same time, and and my siblings too. If they're listening, sorry, I'm about to throw y'all under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they'll say things to me like oh you just don't let the things she says and does bother you you just put her on mute and like and I'm like to me that's actually I mean to each their own like I think we're all on our own journeys but to me personally in my own value system and I highly value like authenticity that seems less kind like I I love the words of Brene Brown clear is kind and I've been very very clear um and so, and I've also left room for reconciliation and, and that work has to be done on my mother's behalf though. Uh, and I know it, I, I can't, I can't do any more work. And that's one thing that I would say, and you haven't asked this question yet, but I'll just jump Keep ahead. Going. Yeah, please do. <laughs> um, is I, I noticed that one thing that I would do consistently, like over and over again throughout my journey with my mom is I've been in therapy. Oh, all of my adulthood and then a lot, a large portion of my childhood. And as I would do some of this therapeutic work, like boundary work and my own healing from trauma, I would actually project my growth onto my mother. Um, And so I would call her up expecting her to have had the same like level of healing and growth that I had. And then I would be kind of dumbfounded, like, Oh no, (laughs) you're still kind of in pause. Like you're kind of still where you are. Um, And that would be a huge grief of like, Oh, like you're, you're not on this journey with me. You're kind of like stuck back in your own trauma and in your own lack of healing. And it would just be so hard for me to remember like, Oh yeah. Like she's not done that, you know? (laughs) And then every time I would be really hurt by the reminder of like, yeah, that's not, yeah, that's not work your mom has done. Yeah. yeah so, and can, re- can you talk just a little bit about like when, because I have a lot of, you know, in my own journey, I mean, when mom is just not interested in doing like even having that conversation too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Can you talk about that for just a second? Yeah. I think of course that's hurtful. And I think you have to acknowledge your, your feelings about it. Like I, I think I would have to be like a sociopath to be okay with that and not feel hurt by it. And not be like, Oh, what? Ouch. You know, you're not willing to do this in an effort to, to maintain our relationship. And at the same time, I think it's this dialectic, right? Two opposing truths that can exist about the same thing. I can be hurt and I can also be compassionate 
to understand that like, that's really, you've done your work, right? You were just kind of talking about like the coaching process and going through that. Like, yeah, it's hard. It's (laughs) awful. And it's amazing. And it's terrible. And it's lovely. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, ouch, I do not like this. But yeah, this is what I need to do. And we were talking in our staff, like staffing the other day about um, how like, sometimes it looks really nice to be the person that is unself-aware. And so having to like, look inward and do that work is terrifying and so I I have compassion for her that that that's too scary you know yeah. and she may not even have a capacity for it um yeah so yeah just our, unaware and okay with being unaware like we can't yeah. create we can't make someone be aware as much as yeah. we try <laughs> right yeah yeah um so generational you brought this up a few minutes ago the generational mama drama mm. um can you touch on what that could look like with some women who are like discovering that like they have boundary issues with their mom or just really are struggling with that relationship. But then we, we go back and we, we start to piece together maybe what had happened or maybe just the the time that they were raised in. Like, this is just what we do. I think about this a lot in terms of body image stuff and boundaries, body image that a lot of this is um is generational uh, like to it, it's it's fascinating to me if you watch like period pieces like i think about the show mad men or yeah. like it, it, just even thinking about my grandmother's generation like i don't know if you've ever seen mad men but there's this great scene where All she like it. she cracks the window so that the light will hit her eyes so she can wake up and do her full face of makeup and look perfect, quote unquote, before yeah. her husband sees her. Yes. And I just think, wow, that was really the rent that women had to, I, I'm going to get a little feminist here. <laughs> no, go for it. I'm <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was really the rent that women had to pay in order yeah. to exist. Like if you think about it, like my grandmother couldn't even have her own credit card or bank account, you know? And so like body and attraction with like what she had. Um, and so to pass that on, like, it's probably pretty scary for her to think about, you know, I hear this phrase all the time. Like, I don't want to let myself go. Um, yeah. and I'm like, what, what other context is that a bad thing? Um, like, what are you letting go of here? It's kind of the challenge yeah. that I'll give yeah. clients. Um, but that was probably the scariest thing to like two or three generations ago to imagine, you know, not caring about that and letting go of that. And then a layer even deeper than that is that spoiler about body image stuff is it's actually not about your body. Um, and I could tell a trillion stories about that in my own life, but oftentimes it, it, there's this concept called body scapegoating, which I I'm borrowing from the work of Ashley Bennett, who is amazing. You can find her on Instagram, body image therapist. Um, she'll share these little graphic, like little infographics that I'm like, oh, wow, that was a little deep for me for the, for the morning. It'll come uncomfortable now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to think about that. Um, anyway, she talks about this concept of body scapegoating and how so often if you have these thoughts and feelings about your body, like up here, right in your head, um, what they're actually tied to is emotion that you have in your body, which are actually about other things going on in your life. 
And Mm -hmm. if we actually had to pay attention to that stuff and honor it, instead of just like obsessing about our body, going on the next diet, restricting, engaging in eating disorder behaviors, we actually figured out like, oh, what is it that I'm feeling and, and thinking about here that's not my body, then we'd probably be really mad about some things. (laughs) <laughs> and some things will probably have to change, but it would be uncomfortable to change those things. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that what ends up happening though, is we start focusing on our body because that seems really simplistic. The world encourages us to do it. Um, and we get accolades and praise for that. Whereas when you're doing like deep inner work about things in your life, boundaries, like people aren't like, Oh my gosh, Rachel, like I can tell you've been putting on some boundaries lately. (laughs) Just this morning as I was walking into my three-year-old school, one of the preschool teachers said something about my weight, um, which she thought was a compliment, Um, but I, yeah, I do. Yeah. Some uh, saying that she look, she felt like I looked like I had lost weight and, and I just responded, well, I don't weigh myself. So, you know, (laughs) thank God for you. (laughs) Yeah. And I just think like, it's so encouraged. And so that becomes the focus instead of like this deeper work that we would actually have to do and think about if we didn't scapegoat everything onto our bodies. And the way that I know this is true, I'm going to say this and then I'll let you talk. No, no, I'm, I'm over here taking <laughs> the, notes, friend. <laughs> the way that I know that this is true is if it was really about our body, we would never have the following experience, which pe- women have all the time, men too, but um we would never have the experience where we wake up in the morning and we feel great about ourselves. And then two hours later, we're like, Oh, I am trash. And I look terrible. Right. Like our bodies didn't change in that two hours. And so what changed was our emotional state, our thoughts, our feelings, and that stuff is a lot deeper and harder to work through. That is. Yeah. yeah. This is so good. This is so good. Yeah. So it's not about your body. However, mm-hmm. let's move to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, where, okay. So in your line of work, um, you, do you mainly work with women? Typically, uh, is that kind of your typical client? I would say probably 80% of sure. my clients, 85 are women. Um, I think that, you know, advertising has gotten very wise (laughs) in the past, I would say 20 or 30 years. And they realized, oh, there's a whole nother demographic of people that we can make feel bad about themselves. And so let's target those. And then now we have uh, on the rise eating disorders in males um, and and younger kids even. And so I would say it's it's fairly even. And I I do see a lot of really young kids. Um, I've had clients as young as ten years old um, struggling with with body image stuff. And and I know colleagues who have had clients as young as five or six years old. I read a statistic from NIDA, which is the um, National Eating Disorder Alliance. Um, that said, and I wish I would have prepared this, but something like 80 something percent of girls between the age of eight and 10 would rather be hit by a car or bus than gain weight, which is just, oh my gosh, because how do you leave adolescence without gaining weight? Like that's kind of what you're, you're growing. That's what, like, we're not even (laughs) taught that that's kind of what the body, Yeah, what happens. And when you, when you, 
Yeah. When you couple that with the fact that like to go through puberty, all adolescents have to gain 40% of their body weight and fat to be able to start puberty. Like that's just a recipe for disaster. But how many of us was at the target age where our moms or grandmothers started looking at our bodies and getting distressed or making comments or, you know, sit up straight. Don't, you know, I can see your stomach roll. Um, and really it was about their anxiety. It had nothing to do with our bodies, you know, and, and I just think how sad, you know, that that's happening Very so sad. much to such young kids. And I had a friend years ago who said this thing to me, which was like a, the biggest aha. And it's so simple. Um, but it was that if your mom doesn't have peace with her own body, how could she ever have peace with yours? Like, that's just mm. a no brainer, you know? Um, and so I see that in my clients over and over again, especially through the like recovery process, like you're getting so much freer from, you know, cultural standards from, you know, this eating disorder. And I, I'm, think about moms that have been in a prison their whole life of where this is like the most important thing and all they thought about and, and focused on and to see it's kind of, it's kind of like when I walk into my, my 12 year old's room and they have, you know, just arts and crafts stuff everywhere. And <laughs> I read this in a, in a book a few weeks ago, I, I sent a screenshot to a friend. I was like, this offends me. I do not like it. <laughs> um, there's a book about the adolescent brain. And it was saying the reason why there's so much tension between parents and adolescents is because we actually wish that we could be them, you know, like they make new friends, they take risks they explore their creativity. And so when I walk in that room and I see just like paint everywhere and like arts and crafts and like my kitchen scissors, are there, my reaction <laughs> is not, I'm so glad you've been exploring your creativity. It's like, <laughs> clean up this mess because I spend the bulk of my time in task mode instead of being yeah. in creative mode. And so instead of reacting that way, instead of like having that response using that as a reflection to go, huh, maybe I need to make space to explore my own creativity. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's probably true of body image. Like when, when a mom is seeing their kid free, yes, it's like that dialectic. It's like, yay, you're free. And then also like this big grief of like, and I've spent my whole life in this prison. Um, and sometimes I think there could be some tension there. Like, oh. Do you call it jealousy on some levels or? Yeah, it sounds weird to say jealousy. Uh, like, There's this, this work in emotionally focused family therapy, which I'm a huge fan of, um, that talks about blocks, right? Um, these blocks that keep us from supporting our children, whether they're adults or adolescents. Um, and the primary blocks are fear, guilt and resentment and anger. Um, and I've seen that even with my own kids sometimes. I know it's not right or okay. It's my own work to do. But like you have this thought of like, oh, you have it so much better than I had it. How could you possibly be complaining? <laughs> you know, um, as if it's like comparative in that way. And that truly, I don't like admitting it as a mom, but it is, it's resentment, you know, I'll think yeah. about my 12 year old. Oh my goodness. They have the sassiest mouth. Like, ooh, <laughs> snap back. Um, and I'll tell people, my 12 year old is who I would have been if I got to be who I was, you know, oh, um, like the sense and, of freedom almost. Oh, like my memo. Mm -hmm. 
she would not have had that. Uh, yeah. And so sometimes there's like that resentment of like, wow, like you're talking to me that way, but, and I, and I'm letting you, and you don't even know how awesome that is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like so, I just got to call my mother out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, and I'm like, you don't know how much therapy has happened so that I can let you tell me that I'm terrible. I'm the worst mom ever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And so, yeah, I think, I think resentment and anger is, is definitely a piece, but sometimes it's guilt too. It's like the fear of like a lot of my parent, my clients, moms are afraid of like, what did I do to cause this? You know? And I would never say that a mom has caused a body image issue. Um, I wouldn't say that because I do have clients who have great, wonderful, supportive moms who have never struggled in that way or, or said things that also have body image struggles. Um, I would just say it it probably wouldn't make things very helpful if you are already struggling with that, to have somebody obviously commenting on your body and saying things about it. Do you have some mamas pushback? Hmm or about about just say that just hypothetically their teenage daughter early 20s or even an adult daughter Mm. is going to you for help Mm. and the daughter mentions it to mom and she wants to shut it down have you ever seen that yeah I've seen that uh, rarely but mostly in the context of like fear of what might get brought up Uh, okay that breaks my heart because it's the other thing about emotionally focused family therapy. It talks about this block work, but it also talks about how repair is always possible, you know, always. And so it's like, ah, like whatever you're afraid of that's going to get said or brought up. First off, I'm not going to judge you because like, I'm a mom. (laughs) I've said (laughs) the things, you know, Um, and like we can train and teach repair like that that's possible. And so, yeah, I do see that. And then sometimes I'll see it in a context of um, maybe a client who's in a larger body and their parent is kind of hyper fixated or focused on that. um, And they're hoping, quote, that coming to therapy is going to help them lose weight. Um, And I'm like, well, sad day. That's not what we do. Uh, (laughs) And like your body is going to do what your body does. Gain, lose, stay the same. Like I'm, I'm not in control of that. Neither are you and neither is your mom. Um, But what we're going to do is some emotional healing and that'll be, that'll be pretty cool. (laughs) Um, And so I see that sometimes the parent getting really fixated around, around something like that. Well, kind of physical result almost. Yes. Yeah. That's really their own stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and that's the other thing is like the, the thing that my friend told me about, like, if, if your mom doesn't have peace with your body, her body, how can she have peace with yours or anybody's? The second piece to that is like your mom's body, like your mom's issue with your body is not your issue. It's I love that. your mom's issue. Yeah. And so I, you can, and that's when the boundary work comes in to say like, Hey, I'm not going to have you commenting on my body. And so <laughs> if that You're continues to happen, yeah, then this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not going to come for Sunday lunch or I'm not going to, you know, um, do family Christmas if it's just going to be like a body bash session. Yeah. So, that was actually my next question. Like if, if you could think of some examples of like what, because I'm working with some, of uh, some clients on boundaries, 
Um, what are some, what are some just really simple tips that you feel like somebody could just like have in their back pocket just to practice with, or just to something to hold on to if they haven't seen a therapist yet, or they haven't done the work, what are some good boundary examples that you might have? Well, first off, I highly recommend the book Set Boundaries, Find Peace. It's great. Um, very clear, um, very great book has like even some like work to do at the end of every chapter. Always love, I love that. Like that. I'm like, I love that. There's a worksheet at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I'm like rich in workbooks. Um, and I do think there's a workbook to this book anyway. Um, so that's one thing that I would recommend. And then the second thing is to remember that boundaries are about you and what you're going to do, yes. right? They're not about other people. And a lot of times we want to set a boundary. That's like, I want you to do this. And that's not a boundary. <laughs> so a straight boundary up manipulation. You. <laughs> yeah. You can't tell somebody else what to do or make them do something, but you can say what's okay with you. Um, and then the third piece is, and I find this a lot, particularly with my, with my female clients that they struggle with boundaries because they think that boundaries are mean. Um, and that's what I hear over and over again. Um, oh, I just don't want to be mean, or I would feel so guilty if I said that. Um, and one of the things that the author, and I wish I could remember her name of set boundaries, fine piece said that has stood out to me is that when we don't have boundaries and assertive communication, what we do is we either we usually often fall into passive aggression. Now people don't like that word, um, but passive aggression is communicating a feeling without communicating a need. So I'm going to tell you that I'm angry, but I'm not going to tell you what I need. Um, and so that might look like you know um, your mom texts and you just like leave her on red for a month. You know you've communicated that you're hurt or upset, but you have not communicated what you need or what's yeah. okay or not okay with you. So boundaries really are what's okay and what's not okay. And then sometimes boundaries don't have to even be something that's spoken. I think one of the biggest boundary issues that we have is not even like rules, like a lot of people think boundaries are rules. Um, one of the biggest boundary issues we have is realizing and recognizing where I stop and another person starts. And so I am not in control of another person's emotional experience. I'm actually not even in control of my own. I'm, I can, I can man, I can control what I do, how I act, how I behave, but how I feel like it's just going to be that way. It's just going to, it's just going to come up. And a lot of times our desire is to control another person's emotional experience. You know, I don't want to make them mad. I don't want to make them upset. And the truth is, like, and, and this is the thing that I was bringing up with my siblings earlier, like you're growing resentment. Um, and like, when you say, I don't want to be mean, like growing resentment towards another person that you haven't spoken boundaries to, or put any emotional boundaries up with, like that, that to me is more unkind than saying, Hey, this is not okay. Um, and if you're upset about what I'm about to say, that's, that's your job to manage. It's not really my job to do anything about that. Who that's hard. It is hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said the boundaries aren't mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I get that. I felt that for, I'm like, if I set a boundary, I'm going to get excelled from my family. I, all this, all these bad things are going to happen. Not true. It's really deep in our social, like 
just context. I think about, I love to like watch my kids. Um, mm-hmm. And I think about my three-year-old, like people's response when she doesn't want to do something like give someone a hug or a high five or say hi. Um, it's like, she's saying, yeah, no, I don't, I'm not going to do that. You know, not, not really feeling that. And we're kind of like, oh, don't be mean. Don't don't be so mean to, you know, so it starts so young that anytime you're saying no or putting a line in the sand, like that's wrong or not okay. Um, And we're also putting in their brains like, oh, you should be worried about what other people are feeling based on what you do. Not to say like you shouldn't care about their feelings. Well, yeah, you can't, you can't control somebody else's feelings. And so, yeah. This is so good. Boundaries are not mean. Yeah. They are not mean. Boundaries are not mean. That's my mm-hmm. mantra. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you are a big, and we'll talk about Reiki in a few minutes, but I know mm-hmm. that you're a big, I don't even know. Um, I know you like the outdoors. And mm-hmm. so I had in my questions just describe some of the self-care practices that you use now that have really helped you have made a difference just in your life in general. Cause I'm a, you know, I'm a been doing yoga for 25 plus years now and teaching it and doing the Reiki. And I think I have a library of self-help books that I just cannot get rid of, (laughs) (laughs) but it's just all the things. So um, talk a little bit about that because I often hear some of my clients say, but I don't know what to do for self-care. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's different for everybody, uh, things that I really love. And, and I think sometimes we think self-care has to be like this, like 20 minute long, like meditative practice right. or, you know, um, for one boundary work can be self-care. I don't mean to keep harping. No, on no, that. no. I I'm, <laughs> honestly, that's what I'm talking about in the next, yeah. you know, five months probably, but yeah. How yeah. can, let's talk about that. How can boundary work? What are the benefits of boundary work? With mama having having even boundaries around your time, um, not not just with your mom, but other people. Um, mm. I think body image work can be self care, like to begin yeah. to um, work on the the instead of you know tearing yourself down and um, instead. And a lot of times we think like, oh, the restricting or exercising or dieting is the self care. And sometimes it can be, um, not the restricting, but sometimes exercise can be, and then sometimes it can be punishment. And so I think I used to do it. Oh yeah. Noticing the difference between that. That is one thing that I've always loved about your yoga practice. Like I'll never forget where I'm swerving. Get ready. Oh yeah. Swerve. That's the story of my (laughs) life. (laughs) I will never forget. I was in a like mini pop-up like yoga class you did one time. And this is like when you, you had my heart you had injured your knee or like had a, I think a surgery or something. You were in a brace yeah. at the time yeah. and you were not doing the poses. Um, and I remember just being like, I love her. Yeah. <laughs> like she is honoring her body and listening to it instead of like, you know, we learned so many things. I, I played sports in high school and junior high. We learned like no pain, no gain. And all Push of these through the pain. Things. Yeah. Oh, this it is really hurtful. Messages. Suffer to be beautiful. Beautiful. Beauty knows no pain. pain. Yeah. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Guess yeah. what? 
Yeah. I did a really radical, (laughs) I did a really radical thing a few years ago. Like my mom was in high heels all the time, like two inch, three inch, like heels if she was going out. And I did this like super radical thing of like, no uncomfortable footwear. Like I'm I'm just not doing bare feet. Yeah. (laughs) You will find me in only comfortable footwear for the rest of my life. Cause there's just no need for that. Um, I'm not a, not a beauty is pain. I'm either no, like, and and having a yoga studio for so long, I'm like, Hey, it's, it's a shoes optional thing. And then I'm like, I can't go back to wearing real shoes. Yeah. I don't have to wear shoes to this. (laughs) There like yoga actually was my re-entry back into compulsive and problematic exercise. Um, Oh, really? Years. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and, and it's was because I think yoga just kind of organically lends itself to honoring your body um, and listening to it. Now, I think a lot of, and you and I have talked about this, like, current kind of culture has gotten away from that to my precious yoga I know and listen I'm very defensive of yoga I'm like no I I'm Mm -hmm. like I have to like there's no beer in yoga sorry for the people who do that but (laughs) stop it (laughs) yeah I um I think that it's um like the diet culture and our obsession with thinness and quote the perfect body um is it just co-ops it co-ops everything that could be good. I mean, yeah, it's so. like there was a weird turn for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a, and I got, I think I got caught up into the part of the like the weight loss and the looking whatever. But mm-hmm. you know that what that it what, has to be the most strenuous, most hard, like highest calorie burning yeah. thing. You I mean, know, I was so, and it's it was a the you know the Bikram yoga that I did for so many years and loved. It's in some points in there, I would use that to punish myself. I'm like, I'll just turn up the heat and go take a class. And then it won't be an hour and a half class. It'll be a two hour class. And it would just like, it was just beat myself up pretty much. Yeah. Um, and it was usually, sorry, mom, but it was usually after a fight with my mom. Yeah. Like she would just, and it wasn't even a fight. She would just say one line that any random person could say. And I wouldn't react that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, my mom said this thing and I'm like, I'm just going to go cry and turn up the heat to extra, extra hot and do an, a two yeah. classes in a row and then go teach. I mean, that's crazy. Um, yeah. But See, there that you was are. a great like, example. You are on to like some, some body scapegoating, right? Like yeah. in, in those moments. And it's not a shame, shame-based thing. I can think of so many stories where I've experienced this, like there were some other work that had to be done right there. Yeah. Um, but you were like, I'm just going to go do hot yoga forever. Yeah. You know? I'm just going to go this, I had the studio to myself on a Sunday or whatever. Yeah. And I would just go, I would punish myself yeah. because yeah. of a, a relationship that was really kind of squirrely or this like push pull thing. I'd call it with my mom and I, this push pull, I love her and she drives me bananas. And she just said this one thing and I was just taking like one thing. And I, but I've, I found myself like, not, I was like, now I'm using this yoga. Yeah. That is self-care. And I just hate when we turn self-care into like self-punishment, but so I love yoga and I love walks. I love the outdoors. Like you said, I love backpacking and camping and just being outside. Um, Centering prayer is also a really big piece of self-care and then having boundaries around my time and energy, you know, um, taking days off. It's okay to slow down. Um, You don't have to be doing something, you know, every second of every day. (laughs) And I I think therapy is an awesome self-care 
self-care practice. And then finally, I think all of that being done through a lens of self-kindness and self-compassion, you know, even on the days where I, I quote, don't self-care, to be compassionate to myself and say like, hey, like you're really busy. Um, And it makes sense that you wouldn't have made time for that today. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, every once in a while, I don't do it a lot, but when I go for walks, it's so much for me, I Mm. appreciate this so much when I don't have anything in my ears, like Mm. they, you know, I love listening to the podcast or I love a great audio book, but there's that, that time that I don't, this magic time for me in the evening where the sun's almost down, but it's still kind of bright outside and the smells are different and things are a little bit quiet. Um, I feel like the most at peace, even though mm-hmm. it's a it's a normal walk that I would go on, but I'm actually just kind of paying attention a little bit more. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Like when I think about, I don't know if you're familiar with polyvagal theory, but it's like- No, please tell of- me what this is. <laughs> this theory about um, how we kind of get safety um, through our body cues. And so, Mm. you know, humans have um, a multiple vagal system and um, we are all very familiar with the parasympathetic nervous system. It's like fight or flight, you know, and then we have the dorsal vagal system, which is kind of like in our gut. Um, That's the very first um, safety system that kind of comes online. Um, Interestingly, I think it's fascinating that so many people, when you ask them where they feel something in their body, will often say in their stomach, especially people who struggle with eating disorders Mm -hmm. and will have um, struggles with like, um, you know, tummy issues and and problems like that. And so I think that that's a a stressed out person. Uh, Sarah Upson always says stressed out person has a stressed out gut, you know, um, which makes sense because our, our dorsal vagal system is like the most primitive in our family. We call it turtle mode. Um, if you just want to hide and go in your shell when, when that's activated, and, and then we have a ventral vagal system, which is everything from the neck up. And that's like what you're talking about. Like you can find safety through looking around and seeing the sunset or like, you know, connecting with other people and just seeing like the amazingness that is another person in this world. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, my chat with Celeste. Hope you learned a lot. The second part of this interview will be out next week. Now, if you're ready to set some smart boundaries in your life and you're ready to thrive as a highly sensitive, empathic person, you're ready to stop people pleasing and really learn to trust yourself, please go to my website, rachelkhudson.com and click the tab that says work with me to schedule your free consultation. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Be kind to yourself, say nice things to yourself and be kind to others. Bye.